Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Boom Goddess Podcast Project with your hosts, myself, Dr. Andrea Goldmarks, Jennifer Davis Page, and Bibi Peters. This podcast aims to ignite inspiration in primetime women by creating a super learning community, a safe space for all women to contribute their voices and visions. For more information on this episode and to learn more, visit us at boomgoddessradio.com. Hi, this is B.B. Peters, and I'm here with Dr. Andrea Gould and Jennifer Davis-Page. I'm so excited because I've been wanting to do this episode and the interview of this magical, mysterious woman who has the body of a 32-year-old, but is quite a bit older than that, and we'll soon discover her actual age. And I just could not wait to get here and talk about this Today is the day. Today is the day. What what got you so interested in her body and her exercise program? How did you get so interested? I think when I saw her, the vitality that she exuded and the energy that she showed about herself when she talked, when she walked, when she stood on her lovely high heels, I said, oh my gosh, what does this woman do with her body? And I wonder if some of her secrets will be shared with us. I know they are because people who are that who are this accomplished uh, can't wait to talk about the process of how they got there. Great, and we can't wait to listen. Let's do it. We are here this afternoon with the amazing and mind-boggling Dietrich Benjamin. Dietrich Benjamin is a woman who lives in Tucson and who has the mental agility and the body of a 32-year-old, but she's not that age. So we'll get to that age part, but I am just so thrilled to have you. Thank you for uh, joining Dr. Andrea Gould and Jennifer Davis-Page and me, Bibi Peters. We're so happy that you're here. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It It is absolutely our pleasure to have you. I'm sitting here uh, looking at your uh, beautiful website, and I cannot even believe what a body you have on you, girl. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. You know, I, I often wonder how it happened. Yeah, so I'd love to hear the story of the beginning that way. You know, like if you can tell us a little bit about the story of how the job was and the toll it may have been taking on you, and then the transform, you know, transformative moments as you began working out and how that affected you. Yeah, I'd love to tell that story because um, I, I was involved in a women's organization, um, and so what, consequently what happened was called Women Entrepreneurs, and I was doing a lot of work with Richard Bowles and What Colors Your Parachute, and I was just uh, very, very active in the San Francisco community. Uh, I was also in 1976 earning over $100,000 as a, a a business consultant for medical and dental offices. So consequently, um, the stress started building up. And the way the, the way people handled stress back then was sometimes they went to drugs and they went to alcohol. And so I found myself going to business meetings in the evening and drinking wine. And then I realized I was making a ton of money because back then $100,000 a year was a ton of money. <laughs> and yeah. um, But the big problem was I wasn't going to be alive to spend it. 
if I continued in the path in which I was doing it, because I was, you know, I was driving rapidly to Sacramento, I was driving to San Jose, I was coming back to San Francisco, and then I had a family, because it was the Gloria Steinem days, and we believed we could have it all. <laughs> and so um, someone Good point. A, Good point about that. Le- yeah, a legal consultant said to me, you know, why don't you start working out, because you can't go on this way, you know? I mean, you're making a lot of money, but, you know, you're a wreck. And, uh, and I was showing a lot of symptoms of stress. Um, and uh, one of them was, of course, drinking alcohol and uh, of course back then we did a lot of cocaine too to stay awake <laughs> I back hate to say day. that out loud my, my daughter tells me I should always tell that story because it just shows that you know some of the things that I've had to come up against yeah. and um, she's now 40 so she understands it well right mm-hmm. but um, I, I started working out with a fellow named Charlie Mallon and he had three days for men and three days for women so there was no reason not to go and uh, he was just incredible, and he worked with me with my diet. He uh, he banned me from the gym unless I ate more food. <laughs> and, of course, I kept worrying about being fat. As we all worry about getting fat, right? That's like it seems to be our number one concern at times. Yes, but please go on. Yeah, and, and so he, so it, what happened is that he, he finally said to me, he says, you know, you've got to look at your lifestyle here. And so consequently what I did is um, I had come from a healthcare background because I worked in healthcare. So I, under, I had some ex- excellent um, training and excellent mentors. Thank you for that. Um, and, they really, and, and they really empowered me to um, take charge of my life, and that's exactly what I did do. So did you see your body change um, dramatically soon after you started to do this, or did it take a little while? Um, You know, I saw it change dramatically. And how I felt and how I – the things I saw changing was I could sleep at night. And that was great. Uh, I also had a a lot more energy because I was eating uh, properly at intervals, small intervals. And I found that um, my patients – my emotional side was also much more focused. And so my business grew, of course. And I became more and more successful, which is wonderful. <laughs> yes, and so once that cycle of reward kicks in, we have an easier time sustaining new behaviors because we're rewarded for them. Yeah, my behavior was focused on uh, visualization. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not big on willpower, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I think willpower has its place in life, but for me, it's about uh, back then. I, I started visualizing myself as having the perfect body, the healthy body, having a good relationship with my body, not needing to abuse it, whether it meant staying up late at night or or pushing it to go to one more meeting or take on one more responsibility. And so I began to visualize myself as that healthy person. So I remember running in uh, San Francisco, and I used to run up hills because <laughs> that's where San Francisco is. And I would talk to my body and say to it, I'm not going to hurt you. You can do this. And, and really just walk it through the gratification. And, and it always performed for me. So that was something that I really um, I had a really good communion with my body. And that's, and, that's uh, really course, an essential element, that communion, communication. Because you can talk to a part of yourself, no matter what that part is, in that loving way. And so you don't uh, engender the resistance, whereas, like you were saying, if you try to force it with willpower, uh, it can be rebellious. (laughs) So uh, you have been doing this since the 70s. 
can you take us back to the present time and describe what it is that you do now, including your competitions, including your own personal workouts, including your working as a personal trainer? Sort of paint the picture for your life right now. Well, right now, you know, um, I, I, I was working in healthcare, so here I was working with doctors. So one of the things that uh, I had to find, because I got extremely disillusioned with um, insurances, I had to find a way to to follow my dream, which was to transform the quality of healthcare in the world. <laughs> so here we I am in Tucson, transforming. <laughs> I, I, I'm transforming the quality of healthcare person by person now, um, because what I found in the medical field is that they didn't want to look at prevention. They wanted to look at um, managing disease. And what I would like to do is I would like to manage health. And so consequently, my whole attitude had to, take, had to be transformed. And what I did is I said, well, if you, can't, if you can't work in the healthcare field with the attitude it has, then maybe we need to create the new attitude. And the new attitude for me has become to transform the quality of health by prevention. And that is working with people, um, myself included, by learning, teaching them how to take care of themselves, how to, how to manage their health through, uh, you know, safe, uh, practical exercise and good nutrition. And I don't mean, you know, I'm not talking about dieting. I'm talking about eating those foods that bring you the vitality, you know, uh, foods that encourage you to be stronger, encourage you to have more energy. What are those foods for you that bring that, and that um, energy and vitality to you? Yes, I found, I found that... Um, Going away from the typical American diet, which is fried foods, processed foods, I find eating extremely um, good quality, high green vegetables. And I'm not talking about organic because, orga- you know, I always hear the thing, well, I can't eat organic. It's way expensive. Well, I'm talking about uh, making sure you wash the vegetables you purchase and, and making sure you get a variety of colors uh, in your vegetable uh, platform. And, and um, also this whole thing about, not eating carbohydrates. Yes, we can eat carbohydrates, but we want to stay away from the refined foods because they actually take more energy from us than they give us. So you want to you want to do whole grains and uh, whole you know brown rice and things without processed sugars in them. And I think that's one of the big drawbacks we see right now is that uh, the labeling on foods will say, for instance, zero trans fats, but then if you look at the ingredients, uh, myself knowing with the knowledge I have, um, what is a trans fat? And I had that happen with a jar of peanut butter the other day with a client, and, and I said, you understand it has trans fats, and that's, uh, trans fats are not processed by the body. And she said, yeah, but I'm not going to throw away this jar of peanut butter. <laughs> but I had to remind her. I said, my duty is to tell you what's in it, and your duty is to decide for yourself what's more important to you. You know, the 379 you paid for this or the possibility of clogged arteries. Let's go back to the very beginning. Tell me, in 1976, tell me, were you overweight? It doesn't look like you ever were, but did you have a weight problem at all? I did not have a weight problem. Um, I had at one point way back when, when I was working in dentistry uh, as a dental assistant, had an emotional situation come up, and I think I was 24, where I actually went up to 160 pounds. Mm-hmm. And for five foot two, that's, you know, that's a little bulky. Right. <laughs> and, right. And, then, um, and then what I decided is that I would, um, 
I would just start eating healthy. Uh, the doctor told me, go back to the way you ate when you were a child because they found nothing medically wrong with me. And so when I did that and I, and I began eating a well-rounded meal, that is fruits and vegetables and um, meats, uh, and yeah, a little bit of pasta because uh, I was raised Italian. Uh, it, then that seemed to, I dropped, I dropped like 40 pounds in like, you know, a month and a half. Were you were exercising at that time as well? Uh, that's when I, yeah, that's when I began exercising. And I, okay. I studied ballet at Boston Conservatory Music, so um, I've always been somewhat active with my body, but um, I, I couldn't live on chocolate coffee, and like other people, I had to have salads and things of that sort. <laughs> um, yeah, because I found out that the diet of a ballerina can also be very taxing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's very um, amazing. I, I take ballet still to this day. I take two classes a week. So, oh, that's wonderful. Studio. Now you're blowing our mind. Okay, you do ballet <laughs> still. You do headstands. You go to competitions. You are a personal trainer. And can we share with our listeners what your age is? Age, agelessness, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you, Jennifer? I mean, what does it mean to feel a certain age? How do we keep ourselves feeling good? Well, as all of our listeners know from listening to all of our podcasts, Jennifer is 70. And I am trying to keep myself in good shape because we know the value of that and trying to exercise I'm not on par with our guest, but I'm trying to keep it moving. You know, I, there was a there was a, a a woman that used to tell me all the time, "Motion is lotion." So you got to kind of keep Ooh, it, I like keep it. it moving. And uh, so, you know, ladies and gentlemen that are listening, that's what we have to do. But Jennifer, a baby. I mean, if somebody said to you, "How does it feel to be seventy? Or how does it feel to be sixty? How do you relate to a question of how age feels unless you're really just feeling good or not good? Well, you know, you have your days. You know, I happen to be a person that has fibromyalgia, and I'm, I'm in pain all of the time. And moving is really good. And sometimes when you are, you have to move, but it's also painful to move. But we know that that in order to kind of get into the rhythm of things, you have to. So. I, my body doesn't respond the same way BB's does or the way your body responds. I mean, you're a swimmer. She does a Zumba. I don't do any of that. You know, I'm really fearful of, of being in further pain. And so I keep my, my exercise down, down to a minimum. I, I get on my treadmill and I, and I move and I feel better afterwards. But I can't do or I don't feel that I can do the kind of exercise the two of you do. I wish I had a video, though, of your hands as you were describing that, because what you were describing is this kind of um, dance between what your body will do and what your mind would like to do. And with your hands, you're kind of showing uh, a movement of balance. But it, what was so beautiful about that movement, it was like a little give and take, <laughs> a little give here, a little take there. So it's like a dance with one's own body. Well, you know, just thinking about the age, Age is just a number. I see that in my head as I close my eyes all the time. And so women like 
Dietrich is so inspiring to me because she defies age. How, how do we challenge the age that we're at? How do we test it? How do we explore it? That's really the questions that I want to hear her answer. And one of the things that I think about that is just that if we don't focus on a number and we simply focus on what it takes to feel good, what it takes to have a sense of well-being, of enough energy, enough nourishment, enough rest, I think that we could even create a sense of agelessness for ourselves. Well, she started early on. You know, she was twenty in her 20s when she started this, this discipline. And so now at the age that she is right now, her body her body has fine-tuned itself, I, I would say. Um, we can't start, and that's a question we can ask her, when can we start this? I mean, if you're 60, 65, or even 70, when do we start with making a change, if that's what we want to do? But I also think that it's in your head. You really have to want to make the change. Right, or to ask to the work. question, how how can I begin? Just even how. how exactly. What will my body sustain? What will my body appreciate? Where will my body object? And that begins the dance. Okay, so the let's get back to the discussion that we had with Dietrich and actually find out what her age is. <laughs> oh, I'm 66 years old. <laughs> I'm 66 years old. So I, I keep uh, wondering what that's about because I, I still, as my uh, husband will say to me, oh, you're a woman on the go as I run out with my chicken and my, um, and, and, and my vegetables in my uh, cooler. And I'll say, I'll see you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> right, and right. and I and I do I do get up early still, you know, and yeah. uh, and I I do work out hard. I have to say that. Yeah, I had to train my body to sleep more because I'm a four hour a night sleeper. So I I increased it by um, fifteen minutes in the front of my sleep hour, and I put, increased it by fifteen minutes in the back of my sleep hour, and that's the way I got myself to sleep six to eight hours. Right, and did you use visualization to do that as well? I do. I do tapping. Um, I do uh, finger tapping, and I use the word sleep. And sometimes I, I, I was taught, um, I took a training class where I was taught how to, how to take quick naps. So naps are also very important for me. And all I do is write S-L-E-E-P with my finger on a pillow, and I never make it to the third sleep. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh, that's remarkable. Oh my that's remarkable. Yeah, and I and it's a and it's a twenty minute nap, and I I wake up totally refreshed, and um, you know, because I get up at three forty five in the morning. So if you're seeing clients till eight o'clock at night, you might have to come home and take a nap because again, and that comes back to the self love thing, not pushing yourself beyond that point of exha- you know to that point of exhaustion. Caring enough about yourself to say I'm worth taking a nap with. Hard for people to modulate themselves. You know, um, yeah. but that's what you're doing. So you know, four o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night, and you're making sure that you modulate that sleep and I'm so, the uh, rest for your body. What kind of um, advice do you give the women that have have not yet started what you started 40 years ago in terms of uh, getting their body in shape at let's just say in their 50s or 60s? Now, they, 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 of course, don't have the discipline because they didn't start 40 years ago, but can you tell right. our listeners that are sitting now and 
uh, not moving as much as they should. Can you kind of walk them through how to get started? Uh, you know, I know you've got your classes, but for, for women that are not in Tucson, can you tell our listeners how they can get started? I think the very first piece of advice I give, I give them is get moving. And everyone has this illusion that they need to join a gym or they need to get out and uh, uh, join, get into classes and things like that. But if they can just get uh, themselves walking 10 minutes in the morning and then maybe 10 minutes in the evening, that would be great. Um, as far as eating goes, um, find their very favorite foods and, and, and do, do the ones that don't work for your body, any processed foods, and do it in moderation. But I think walking is probably the key here. And if they can do a mile in 15 minutes, that would be fabulous because that's the average walking speed of most of us as human beings. But um, I have one client who started and, you know, I said to her, all right, you did a mile and you did it in 35 minutes. Well, you know, shortly thereafter, she was doing them in uh, 22 minutes. And then after that, it came down to the 15-minute mile. And then I know sure. she's burning mm -hmm. fat. But mm -hmm. that's the key is, is getting out and moving and not, being, and not being intimidated by the fact that people say, oh, I do this much exercise and I do that, um, and not getting compulsive obsessive because that is a disease in itself in my mind. That that holds back a lot of us as um, as, as people who want to be healthy, but we keep thinking we have to do so much, and we don't. It's never too late to start is what you're saying then, right? Exactly, exactly. And even now I've got a 78-year-old man. He said, I am so happy I can stand up and put my pants on one leg at a time. And I, because that was, a, that was the big thing he found himself not being able to do. You mentioned the 78-year-old man. What other type of yeah. clients? What, uh, what's their gender? What's their age group? Most of my clients are female, and, um, um, and, I, and I have the luxury, the fantastic luxury of working not only with um, young people, and I do have a lot of young competitors who come to me. They want to compete. They want to do shows. They want to get their body fat down to like 11%. But then I have the incredible women who come to me, and yes, they've had a hip replacement. They've had a knee replacement, and they're getting the, the widespread hip issue going on or the little pot belly coming up. And so for those people, I, did, I custom design their programs to fit their needs. And some days they'll walk in and I'll say, today we're going to start by doing stretching. You're going to, you know, we're going to warm up your kneecaps and then we're going to do some stretching. And I, and, I, and I stretch them manually myself or I teach them the kind of stretches they can do at home. That's one of the key things, too, is to make sure that they have the tools they need at home. And um, so my clientele ranges. And, of course, the 19-year-olds the and the 20-year-olds, to them it's all about body. And for me it's all about health and longevity. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what one... That's what one trainer said to me. He says, the, the thing I love about you is, it's another trainer that I work with. He says, one thing I love about you is your longevity. You just keep on going. I said, yeah, but I, I also regulate myself when I need to stop. And so I, I think for um, my clientele, I, I, I'm, I get so much out of all of them. And, you know, fibromyalgia is a big deal, and I have to work very carefully with those people. I have to understand they're, they're, that they are in actual pain. And we need to work around that pain. We don't need to push them, you know, we don't need to conquer the world in one day. We need to go gently and be with their bodies. As I said earlier in, in, this, uh, in this episode, I have fibromyalgia, and pain is, is, is very real to me. But I also realized I lost 27 pounds last year, and I also realized during that process 
um, it helped. Losing the weight really did help with with the pain. So I was on a really terrific diet that I, I was very happy with. And I shouldn't call it a diet. It was a way of eating. And I did all the good stuff. And, you know, I did the good proteins and, and good vegetables, lots of water. And so we know that works. And it, I was successful. And I really felt great. I logged in everything. I kept a journal as to what I had every day so I could refer back to it. Some weeks I lost three or four pounds. Some weeks I lost just one pound. But I never let that deter me. I, 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 I just kept going. And, you know, when you work hard and you only lose a pound, you say to yourself, well, I am um, not being as successful as I'd like to be. But for listeners that were in the same boat as I was, don't get distressed about it. Just keep up the good work, lose the weight, and and you'll find that you'll you'll feel very successful. There are reasons that losing the weight um, creates less uh, pain, and that's because of inflammation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, the more um, careful a regimen we go through with food, um, decreasing the anti uh, increasing the anti-inflammatory foods like Kelly and Dietrich tell us about, and increasing the colorfulness and the cleanliness of food. As long as we're eating consciously, we're going to decrease the inflammation in our systems. And then as soon as we do that, the weight gets let go of and therefore the pain is less. And But pain is just one of so many limitations that can be in anybody's life, whether it's the limitation of work or the limitation of having a having a job that requires like taking care of a grandchild it might be, you know, all of a sudden your time is not your own. So that's limitation is really important. What's realistic for any one of us at any given point in time is what's real is is what's gonna matter. It's what we're gonna work with. And that's so true. And for me, I'm always looking at why is it that I can be like good about things? You know, why uh, uh, watch my weight and drink my water and do uh, Pilates, and then I sort of go off the track and um, don't get back on it. And so, what's happening in our brains that we are forgetting how healthy it was for us to be that certain way, and now we're sort of taking the other path. That's you know, a great question. Yeah, and that's the whole issue of reward. Like the further we get from the reward, so let's say we forget or we get sick or we're traveling or something interrupts us, then we don't have that the currency of that wonderful feeling of reward. So I think the... Um, I think maybe it would be wise to think about how to keep a mini reward going on a like mainlining reward, whatever that is, but it has to do with our defining it in our own head, what we would consider to be a reward. Because I think it's human nature. The minute we feel derailed, we get pessimistic and we and we feel sad and then that brings our energy down and then we lose energy and then we don't even feel like we can get back on any kind of, like you say, good track. But how, how do we get off track? Like you say, BB, something in the brain makes that happen. When I lost the weight, I was very happy, and the doctor put a bag over my shoulder. 
And I said, this bag is very heavy. And she said, well, this is how much weight you actually lost. So I was carrying around all of that weight. So now tell me, why is it as hard as I worked to get it off, I was able to get it back on? Why is it that I wasn't as diligent about keeping it off as I was about getting it off? Mm -hmm. You know, it's so Mm -hmm. interesting how we unconsciously give ourselves permission to stop. So we might even say, and this is where parts of our inner voices fool us, well, I'm doing so well, it wouldn't hurt if I had a little Parmesan on my veal. Or it wouldn't, I'm sorry, it wouldn't hurt if I had a little extra dessert tonight. Or it wouldn't hurt. And I always call those permission cognitions. It's like all of a sudden, these little voices come and they give us permission to stop or to rest. And I think the thing that happens is that, yes, it's good. We can stop and we can rest and we can even be off track for a bit. And then another part of us needs to take over. It's part of our leadership inside ourselves. Another part has to say, okay, babe, you had your rest, you had your treat, and now let's go. And that part needs to be sort of installed. The one thing that I did to get the weight off I should continue to do because I was weighing myself every day. There you go. And I think if you weigh yourself every day and you've had that Parmesan on that veal and you've gained a few ounces, then you know you need to do something the next day. So I didn't weigh myself and all of a sudden five pounds is here, eight pounds is here. And I was not even paying attention to that and here I am. But I'm promising myself that if I when I get the weight off again, I will not gain it back. So keep, keep me to that, okay? <clears throat> okay, keep me to sure. That. So you know how I say age is just a number. My weight is just a number, mm-hmm. and so I do not weigh myself. I feel it instantly in my clothes and how my clothes fit me, in mm-hmm. how I bend, and mm-hmm. how I do those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I am going to incorporate that voice into me because you are not getting me on the scale every single day and i can assure you of that and for many people that is counterproductive the scale and certainly um when we do work with eating disorders we really don't recommend the scale eating disorder is different than having a goal like you did let me see if i can lose 25 pounds and you're absolutely right for some people what really works is that we are able to um use that information to use that data as feedback. So in answer to your question, one of the ways to stay on track is to keep ourselves in feedback mode or like you asked, in accountability mode, mm-hmm. but different for each of us. For you know, for me, it may be more like, I don't like how my clothes drape today, right? So it's a little bit of a tweak. Whereas if there was a, a, a significant amount then you might want to apply a more actuarial, data-oriented approach. One of the things that I like to do that I shouldn't do is, you know, as, as we like to cross our legs. Well, when you gain 25 pounds, crossing that leg isn't as easy as it once was. Right. So that's kind of my barometer, you know, when I can... That's a reward. For you. Exactly. Yes. Right. Exactly. So you want to be tuned into those rewards yes. because the rewards is, is what keeps the cycle of positive, 
keeps the cycle of positivity flowing. In 2003, uh, when I was under some high stress with uh, being the president of a women's organization, I found myself uh, with seizure disorder. And mm. it took me about um, three weeks after the seizure, the first seizure, which, you know, of course I couldn't drive and they had to put me on medication to manage the seizures, um, to realize that I'm not a person, I'm not, I'm not damaged. I'm just a person living with seizure disorder, and what I need to do is make the necessary changes to make myself functional within that scope. And, um, and so that's what I try to explain to my clients, you know, um, rather than, and I, I'm very lucky because I have such a good understanding of the biomechanics of the body. When someone comes in and their leg is twisted because they've had a hip replacement, I know the exercises to do so that we can actually make it more adaptable. And they say to me, can you believe I can do this now? I can walk down the stairs without my feet twisting. And I say, yes. That was the idea, you know. Mm -hmm. So we, but we go slowly because, again, um, I see these. I see people working with people that are extremely overweight. I see other trainers doing this at different gyms, and they've got them doing hopping lunges and oh my god, things that I don't want to do myself, you know. And I'm healthy, so it, it's very frightening sometimes when you see and and then and then the p people get compulsive obsessive about it and they think they have to do that stuff to get healthy, and they don't. Doing aversive things over and over can never take the place of doing pleasurable things, you know, like BB takes Zumba lessons. Uh-huh. Uh, or a number of times a week, right, BB? How many times a week do you yeah. take Zumba? Uh, twice and sometimes three, but uh, typically twice a week, right. It is a pleasure because of the music and because of the instructors and because of the connection and community that I feel with other women in the studio, and because I feel my energy, my brain, and my body working uh, together, and especially when I let go of the fear of looking odd or not following, yes. if I just succumb to what is being taught. Yeah, I, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I hope you don't think I'm too bold, but I think it brings out sexuality. <laughs> And yeah, at our well, age, you know, yeah. at my age, at 66, I, I love being able to move my hips and wiggle. And I, I think it's just a fabulous exercise for us to play with, you know, and to actually get outside of ourselves and, and not be self-conscious. Um, it's, it's for me, um, that kind of exercise is what makes us happy. It makes us happy. It makes us feel. I remember someone telling me, you wait till you're in your 60s. No one will even look at you as a sexual being. Well, I can move mm -hmm. my hips pretty well these days, darn it. <laughs> yes. And so Zumba is yes. one of those exciting things, yes. And, um, and I, I know for a lot of people with knee replacements and hip replacements, um, Zumba is not, they don't feel it's within their scope. But a good instructor will remind you not to do certain movements when you have a hip replacement or you know or a knee replacement you don't do the lateral movements and uh, and that's kind of what you want you want to have safety in, in your class and, and know that you know your instructor is capable of looking at the biomechanics for you and, and reminding you about it very much the same thing that you would prescribe in terms of food 
because diet, the more varied it is, like you mentioned initially, the more color yeah. you can eat, the more varied a diet you can have, the more probiotics you will accumulate that are not just dead in your body. And the same thing exactly. is cross-training with physical, you know, yeah. to be able to walk and then to be able to dance and then to do some yoga and to do some weight training, I think is a, I personally have been integrating more swimming because now rather than living in New York, I live in Arizona and I can yes. swim year-round, which is something I only did when I was rehabbing my ankle at the Y. Yes. And now I can do, you know, pretty much whenever I want. So I think the variety I know is really helpful for me in terms of maintaining my motivation. Exactly. And, you know, I will say to clients when I'm working with them, um, I, I say, you know, as I'm recording what I'm doing with them, I'll, put, I'll say I'm putting a T next to this because I want you to know this is a therapeutic uh, exercise. This is something you can do at home to get that range of motion in your shoulders better so that you can do better exercises and you can move your arms more freely and you have your daily activity, you know, uh, your daily activities which you can actually perform at a higher level of proficiency without injury. Because, again, injury is a big fear for most people. Can you describe to us the actual um, routine that you yourself employ in your physical fitness? And also, have you modified it? Have you gotten a little older, or do you plan to, to modify it? What is your thinking around that? Okay, um, I, ha- I, use, I use the BOSU for balance. That's one of the things I do for myself personally, and I, I stretch every day. Um, I do cardio. I'll, I always warm up before I stretch. And, um, and I think sometimes my clients don't realize that I have to do a lot of more therapeutic stuff. Uh, and when I say therapeutic, I mean stretching, uh, ankle presses, things like that, because I'm doing gymnastics that I'm expecting myself to stand on my hands and do things like that, and so cartwheels. And so for that reason, I, I have to really make sure that I do a lot of cross-training in terms of um, warming the joints and ligaments and tendons. And then the other thing is recovery. Um, for, for my age now, I, I feel like sometimes I tell my husband, I feel like I'm a wuss. <laughs> you know? and, and he'll say, why? You go to the gym every day, you do. I said, because I'm so used to working harder. But my body doesn't want to do that anymore. My body, my body knows it needs rest, and so I make sure that it gets ample rest in between workouts. What do you mean by rest? Because you've got clients okay. that can't during the day. I, take, I do take my naps. Uh, like I said, if I'm, if I'm working a long day, I will take my naps. So, but I used to expect myself, for instance, when I first started doing gymnastics, I expected myself to do gymnastics at, from 1 to 2 on a Wednesday afternoon and then go to a ballet class at 5.30, 4.30 on Wednesday. Well, that was ridiculous because my body cannot do that. It, it needs resting. And so um, it's not that I don't go for a walk later on the treadmill, but it means that I'm not going to go to a ballet class where I have to use, you know, a little bit more energy for my ligaments and joints. So I bet so for resting uh, and also for as far as working out, I make sure I, I give my body parts. If I'm doing upper body, I make sure that the upper body is not used in exercise right in a day in succession because it's not recovered and you won't build muscle. You can't build muscle that way. So, um, you know, you have to give yourself ample rest and recovery time. I think more recovery is probably more the best, or best you know, better word to use. 
maybe recovery versus rest. Can you give our because listeners can... some guidance about how they themselves can gauge their ratio of activity to recovery? Are there any general guidelines that you might suggest for the average boom goddess over 50? Uh, for recovery? Yes. Uh, one is uh, make sure that you eat proper nutrients. So you need to get food in right after your, after your workout. And when and I say food, I, I mean something like um, a piece of fruit. And that, therefore, you'll recover quicker. You put the glycogen, or better known as the sugar, uh, back into your muscles. Uh, then within 90 minutes, get some protein in you. And that might mean, you know, two hard-boiled eggs. It might mean, um, uh, so, you know, two ounces of, sh- of chicken. <laughs> no one likes eggs. <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, uh, it, it, eat another good meal later in the evening. But right after you work out, you need to give yourself ample nutrients to um, put, put back into your body. And then, you know, don't be afraid to put your feet up in the air and drink your water. Mm-hmm. I can't stress that enough. Um, I use regular water with um, just regular water. Make sure it's clean water. Make sure it's filtered. Um, there's a lot. My one of my clients bought Smart Water, and he said, "What do you think of this?" And I said, "I looked at the label. I said, well, I think it's water.'" <laughs> he said, "Well, I didn't have anything else." He said, "I had to buy Smart Water because they didn't have anything else." I said, "It's regular water. It's fine." <laughs> um, the other thing that I'd like to put in my water is um, coconut water. That's a real mm-hmm. hydrating, um, and that's just plain, without the pulp, without any sugar added. You have to really make sure that there's no sugar added. And uh, I, I do a 50-50 mix, but I don't put it in my plastic bottles because it, it stays in the plastic bottles. So I put it in a, you know, a ceramic cup and drink it that way. I drink it separately. I don't carry it around with me every day because the coconut will go bad and the, where water doesn't go bad immediately, you know. Right, right. That's so, great so, I mean, water is really important. And I will say to my clients, have you, have you drank any water yet? And they'll say, oh, I drank two cups at 6 a.m. this morning. I say, oh, well, it's 4 in the afternoon. Have you had any water since then? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the coffee issue. You know, we all love coffee, and coffee is considered water. Um, but at the same time, you, uh, coffee does, uh, there are some things in coffee that do deplete B vitamins, and B vitamins are really important for stabilizing your metabolism. So too much coffee is not good for you. And I don't know about other people, but at this age, I find that my stomach can't handle too much coffee anyway. So, and One of my um, favorite nutritionists, um, and her name is um, Anne Louise Gittleman, she uh-huh. always talked about coffee, that one cup of coffee is a tonic, and beyond that is toxic. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and of course, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the newspapers and the magazines about supplementation. And you'll see, you'll see, oh, a cup of coffee right before your workout will give you a good kick in the pants. Well, it does. But the thing is, if it's the fourth cup of coffee during the day, you, you, you know, you've already killed some B vitamins, which are going to mess up your metabolism anyway. So... You know, it's, there's a lot of this, you know, you, we look through the magazines and that's where women often get um, confused because we see so much myth and 
this whole thing about, you know, body beautiful and stuff like that. You know, I know when I'm standing on stage next to a 20-year-old, there's no way I can compare myself to that person because her skin texture is different. And, um, you know, I, I just have to accept the fact that I'm beautiful just being who I am. And uh, the other question that I have is, uh, can you talk a little bit about how has your brain reacted? What uh, changes, if any, have you noticed in how you think, your agility to think, your creativity, your desire to learn? Can you talk about the emotional aspect of your physical fitness? Yes, um, and uh, I'll use again, I can use today as an example. Um, I finished up, um, I've been shopping for um, Mother of the Bride wedding dress, okay, because my daughter's getting married. So I was pretty stressed out. <laughs> and so I, I, I had to go back and do my second round of cardio, and uh, my brain was saying, no, you're too tired, you're burnt out, you're under stress, don't. And so I went into the gym and I thought, you know, I'll do what I can do. Well, um, I did an incredible workout, <laughs> and I did my cardio, and my my feeling, my sense of well-being totally increased. So by the time I walked out of there this afternoon, I was like, God, life is good. Mm-hmm. You know, life is great, and it, it really transforms the endorphins really released, and, and, you know, and I did much more work than I expected to do. Uh, when I got there because, you know, I had to do abs, I had to do this, and all of a sudden I I was doing some balancing work, and I thought, this is great. But as soon as I started doing the workout, I felt I had that that sense of well-being and that sense of um, pride and the sense of uh, adventure. But, you know, there's going to be days when you just go ahead and stop and get a pastry, and that's going to be okay, but don't let that stop you from getting back on track. And so many of us do that. We, We find ourselves... You know, we have a failure, and then we say, okay, this is the way it's going to be for me. And it's not true. It doesn't have to be that way. And that I could be home sitting on a couch, you know, thinking about doing this, but here I am on the stage doing it. So really being loving again toward myself. So I have to say, here is a woman, Dietrich Benjamin, who at 66 is doing gymnastics, ballet, workouts, competing, and uh, a gazillion other things that she does, right? I am so inspired by that energy and that perseverance. I know that I'm not going to be able to follow in her footsteps in exactly that same way. So I need to focus on what it's going, what's going to work for me. Right. What, and what does work for you? And what are you attracted to? And basically, I think the overall question is, how do you support your intention? If your intention is to become healthier, if, to have less pain, more energy, more pleasure, better balance, um, staying in motion, how do you support that? What are the behaviors? Who are the people? What are the thoughts, the mindsets? What are, the, what are the methodologies for supporting that kind of intentional change? And also uh, perhaps asking the question, what are the obstacles in your life that are keeping you from making that, that happen? Yeah, and that's really psychological for every single person. If they are saying that, I, I wish I could do it, but I can't. If it's framed that, we can ask the question this way, what would it take for you to maintain 
your commitment. Well, then we get to, well, what is the nature of the commitment and is it a realistic commitment? Or what is a realistic commitment for Jennifer and how is that different from a commitment for Bibi and a commitment from me? What is that commitment for you, Miss Jennifer? What would it take to sustain it, Miss Jennifer? Well, I know that good health to me is so valuable. To all of us, it's so valuable. And we don't want to, as we grow old, we don't want to not be healthy. So my commitment is, you know, I'm not as aggressive about it as the two of you are, or as Dietrich is. It was music to my ears when she opened the show by saying, you can do 10 minutes a day in walking. So, you know, I'm... I'm walking and I'm going upstairs and I'm going to do that until I can do something else. Until you can do a little bit more. Exactly. And we've got so many assistants these days. I mean, you could have a Fitbit on your wrist. It could be a beautiful bracelet because now two years later, people don't want to walk around with little rubber bands on, on, their, on themselves. But feedback is an incredibly good you know, uh, assistant for sustaining effort. So today I walked nine minutes tomorrow I walk 10 minutes and 30 seconds how cool is that so feedback is one way of keeping the commitment another is doing something that you love like you your your Zumba story oh it's just such a pleasure right I said to myself man I am so going to learn how to salsa here in the southwest and then when I knew that there was fantastic music that accompanies it and then the workout um I said that's it this is the piece for me that I need to do and never uh, regretted it and loving it every no turning back and it's so turning back so important just to really underscore that yeah you know we're looking for something that is efficient that feeds our body and our soul and so for some people it may be a practice of yoga and doing that for a while. And getting and then quiet a certain, inside getting yourself. Quiet, right. So that might be one portal, the way somebody enters in. For somebody else, let's say for me, I love to be in nature. So for me, it would always be a matter of how many minutes can I stay in the woods? And how many oh, trails? I'm sorry, in the woods? In this the, would be oh, in <laughs> Arizona? Actually, getting training in New York. So there was plenty of woods <laughs> and plenty of um, trails to walk that you could really be outside. So it hits two pleasure spots. It hits the spot of nature and it hits the spot of movement. And then if you wanted to add music to it, you could. But I think that's really important to love yourself enough to stick with what is pleasurable for you. And then to play to your strength. I mean, I think that would be one way of saying it. That's a reward in itself, right? Seeking that pleasure and and feeling that pleasure. Exactly. That's one of those. Well, right. And that one, like yours, you can be in pleasure through the whole thing, as opposed to initially when I used to first go to the gym, it really wasn't my thing. I wasn't a gym rat. And yet when I would leave after I did, let's say, cardio and weights and the machines, which helped me not to injure myself, I would leave and I'd say, like Dietrich said, you know, wow, I just, I just feel good. Even though I said, I'm, I'm only going to go for a half an hour. I wound up staying for an hour and 20 minutes because as I went, I would feel better and better. So it's surprising. But the reward doesn't always come at the end. The reward can come while you're doing it. Or the reward can just come at the end and you can just remember, that felt so good last Friday when I left the dance studio, when I left the gym, or, or when I did three, three miles in my hometown. 
So remembering reward is really important. Sometimes keeping a journal and writing down how good it felt is a good way. Or telling a friend. Or or sharing it with the uh, listeners in the world that uh, you know that Jen just did about her goal to lose back that 25 pounds. Now the world knows that is one heck of a commitment, Miss. And I'm going to let our listeners know how successful I am. Do you listen to music when you are doing your ex- music? Is so important. I find that. You know, I bought a little shuffle and I have all my favorite music on it. And when I get on the treadmill, I plug it in and I find I can really go longer when I'm listening to a little Streisand or a little Motown or whatever I choose to be listening to at the time. You it bet. really does help. So you and the and the, and the tango and the beautiful Zumba. music. But don't you take tango lessons and as well? No, not really. Yeah, not I just yet. did. I just uh, experimented. Oh, with okay, it. let's yeah. check in next year. Let's <coughs> yes. check in. We'll be signing you up for Dancing with the Stars in of no course. time at all. I love it. I yeah. love it. Well, because pleasure and success leads to pleasure and success. So let's hear it for that cycle. We can do it. We can do it. Let's do it. Thank you for tuning in today. This is Dr. Andrea, Jennifer, and Bibi, your Boom Goddesses, signing off. Each voice of wisdom shares ripples out into our universe and inspires so many others. Namaste. For technical reasons, portions of this program have been pre-recorded. make a supermarket just better look no further than your neighborhood albertson's you'll find fresher meats fresher produce and lower everyday prices on family favorites stop by the meat department and pick up a family pack of bone-in pork loin chops or boneless skinless chicken breasts from the butcher block your choice just 177 a pound and get new crop arizona grown jumbo cantaloupe only 87 cents each fresher meats sweeter produce lower prices albertson's it's just better For all the things that make a supermarket just better, look no further than your neighborhood Albertsons. You'll find fresher meats, fresher produce, and lower everyday prices on family favorites. Stop by the meat department and pick up a family pack of bone-in pork loin chops or boneless skinless chicken breasts from the butcher block. Your choice, just $1.77 a pound. And get new crop Arizona-grown jumbo cantaloupe, only 87 cents each. Fresher meats, sweeter produce, lower prices. Albertsons, it's just better.